0: hi hi
1: Hello.
0: Welcome, welcome to back. hi to practice. Back to practice episode nine how are you
1: i'm fine
0: um this is our third month this is our third month we are in our third month that's i mean time keeps on slipping
1: oh my god doesn't it just how is it by the way it's also the middle
0: of june so what that's not possible um that's just i mean the year's almost halfway over yeah you are correct i know let me just keep saying very obvious things so, uh, <laughs> some time. We're almost <laughs> on the 15th, which means the month is also almost halfway over. <laughs> Stuff, guys. Stuff. Um, but this is exciting, though, because we are. We're into our third month, and we're kind of shifting gears a little bit. We're going to do something like we haven't it, yeah. done, and we're going to do a little bit of a practical artist crit yes exactly
1: so it's peer to peer that's really important for me um, in terms of what i'm building for my platform how i want to be helping early career artists and art students into really understanding what it's like to engage with people who work in the industry in real time in real life because i think that a lot of times when we're at school we talk about it, it's, it seems so far away, and I guess it is super far away, but then because the nature of the conversation makes it so far away, I, I think even when you finish school, it just it's this like unattainable goal. Mm-hmm. So how is it possible to actually get some real-life interaction with people who work in the industry so they're not all just? really far away and like distant land.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, how do you know how to talk to an arts writer or a curator? If you've never talked to an arts writer or a curator before, what kind of questions are they going to answer? How can you prepare for that?
1: Yeah. And that's definitely, you know, we were asked that, uh, when we were reaching out to these artists and it's really interesting to see. So we have two this week, uh, Anna, she graduated a year ago. She makes time and space-based space work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we have Ainoa. So she does wearable sculptures. Both are 3D, actually, now that I think about it. 3D works. Um, and it's really interesting because Ainoa currently... So she just finished her second year. I met her maybe January, they have a work-in-progress show, and I went in to go and see what works were being made, and I struck up a conversation with her, and just sort of like understanding what's happened with the school shutting down and not really getting to finish your term and your year, and then knowing that your next year is going to be your final year, before you really have to make that decision as to do you want to get an mfa are you how are you going to sustain your studio practice like what are you going to do and it was really i just kept in touch with her because i was very interested in knowing what it will be like and what it was like as a student who did not get to finish your school term Mm -hmm. especially when you make things it's not like you make it on a computer you physically need space to make things and I just I can't even imagine what that would be like as as if it was me in that position needing to go make my work I would be like I
0: cannot right so it's nice that we can you know in our own little way Give them a nice little platform to talk to. We have uh, Matt Stromberg, who is an LA-based art critic and writer. He's written for the LA Times, Guardian, Hyperallergic, you know, wherever. He's great. And we have Megan O'Neill, who is my co-curator for Softcore. She also manages an artist studio. Uh, She's an MFA, and she also has been written for hyperallergic and she also deals art so she's got a lot of hats so it's going to be really great to have them talking to these two artists and interacting as well so they can everyone kind of can kind of expand their minds man and like learn what kind of perspectives other people have because it is one thing to have a peer-to-peer with your your classmates or your professors who are looking for certain things from your art but you know What does a dealer, a.k.a. me, or a curator, Megan, or an art critic, Matt, have to say about your work? So this is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to these conversations.
1: It's also interesting because I think most of the time, especially now when we're at home, even if we're opening back up, is most of the studio visits is with... Established artists, mm-hmm. so getting the chance for me is actually a privilege to be able to go and speak to early career artists and yeah. art students and really understand where they are. Yeah, and it's where a completely different. Yeah, it's a different. Where are they going? Point.
0: Exactly. No, I love it. Um, all right. Well, on that note, let's get into our studio crits. this week we have a little something different but exciting and we're going to be doing a like an art crit something similar that artists go through at school but there is no school and we're going to be getting a little bit of a different perspective because it's not just going to be teachers and peers we're going to have Erica who's a teacher we're gonna have me who's you know a lady of many hats, but like curator, dealer. Uh, We'll have Megan O'Neill, who's my co-curator with Softcore here from LA and also a studio manager and an artist herself. And then we have Matt Strongberg, also from LA, who is a professional art critic for such wonderful publications. as like the LA Times and Hyperallergic. Check it out. You can read his stuff all over the place. It's fantastic. So it's going to be an exciting new kind of, for us to do but i think also really interesting to see how different people from different professions have different questions different interests and uh anna's very brave and we're really excited to see your work cool um yeah
2: hi my name is anna so um as erica said um i do predominantly installations, and usually they are interactive, so the audience kind of gets to touch and do bits uh, with, with the work I make, um, and it usually focuses on on different sort of alternative realities. So it's like different types of questions that I ask myself, and um, I try to kind of have people interact with uh, these kind of alternative realities that I create within the work. Uh, But recently I've been actually doing something different. I mean, it was kind of, um, yeah, like connected, but different.
1: Sorry, just to backtrack a little bit. So, Anna, would you mind just giving us a bit of a little bit more of a background? So you graduated last year um, with your undergrad, so your BFA. Yeah is there was there a specific focus what was
2: the name of the course so it was called uh, ba fine art sculpture okay. and i mean the it's kind of it was really uh, focused on you creating your own art practice so mm-hmm. um everyone kind of did their own thing and you had crits together and you had like um historical critical studies together, like setting the theory, but usually um, everyone kind of created different works within the course. So I did installations, but uh, friends of mine did like uh, video video work or they had performances or, you know, there are different ways to kind of interpret sculpture, I guess, these days. Okay, so it's a BFA. A, not sure. Bachelor of
1: Fine Arts and then your specific route is the is a sculpture route.
2: Um yeah okay cool. Recently I've been because obviously quarantine I got not really trapped but kind of um I was in Lithuania when the lockdown happened so I ended up staying for three months in Lithuania completely unplanned. Oh cool thanks. Um and I ended up being at I ended up being at my grandmother's place. Usually, I actually, have a lot of symbolism that um, happens with doors. So uh, you can see a lot of doors in my artist practice. Um, it it has something to do with like the idea of the walking through doors and doors representing choices. Um, so you kind of have a choice of walking through one door through another door. And, um, I got really interested in the idea that once you walk through a door, even if you walk back, you're never going to be walking back into the same time and place. So, because it's kind of a good representation of like time passing, it like gives this clean cut, like this was one moment that happened in one room and you walk out of the door and it's over. And even if you walk back, it's gonna be a completely different moment in time. So I thought uh, I was playing with that idea and I thought it was quite interesting for me. So my end of year uh, showpiece was the circle of doors that you kind of could walk through and, um, and uh, interact with and uh, you had like, different people people interacting differently with it. So we would have, for example, children would like, usually go round and round in the circle <laughs> uh, running around. Um, people would just watch other people interact with it or they would walk through one door but not walk through all the doors. And it's kind of the choice of um, how you would want to interact with it. And also, yeah, it was kind of uh, trying to uh, talk about choices and um having these different choices put to you
0: can i ask what the can i ask what the choices of colors are about because um i'm just going to describe the piece a little bit since our listeners can't see it and it's um six doors kind of in a circle so you could theoretically walk through door to door to door um and it's kind of in a little bit of a starburst pattern but that the doors kind of connect in a circle but i see blue and red and purple is there any purpose with the colors or is that just aesthetic
2: so I had actually that was one of the things I kept on struggling to actually pick colors and for a long time I thought it had to the colors had to mean something um and then I kind of it got to the point where I really had to just paint the doors and um It ended up being, well, why do they actually have to mean something? Maybe they have to mean something for, not to me personally, but to the people who are, you know, interacting with it, and they will create their own sort of meaning for the doors. And so I kind of chose the, in the end, I chose the colors according to, like, the aesthetics and um, kind of randomly, basically.
1: Are the doors new doors?
2: Or are they found doors? Or...? Uh, Yeah, so I was also one of the things how I got into the doors in the first place is that I (laughs) found, uh, I kept on finding doors in the streets in Brighton, just randomly, and I just uh, started collecting them. Like I kept on dragging all the doors that I found back to the studio at the university. It's kind of how my idea started developing. So it's kind of, I found the doors and I started giving, uh, like thinking about the meaning of them and how how kind of almost random it was but not that random because uh, i remembered when i was little there was a, a favorite book of mine and um the main characters like travels through to another world in the book but um he when he was little he saw the symbolic green door and that gave him the ability to travel through to um these other worlds and uh it kind of was just so I, I felt a connection to the material, and um, that's how it kind of evolved from that. I guess like the the ideas just kept coming of how I could um, how I could include them in my work. And it's a
1: story like a folklore story of a different culture, so not necessarily British culture and not necessarily American culture.
2: It's a modern book, so the writer is still alive, and uh, she goes by... I wouldn't be sure how to pronounce it in a way that's English, Um, but I read it in Lithuanian. I'm half Lithuanian, half German, by the way, (laughs) so it's going to be a lot of cultural, like a lot of mix. I I throw in a lot of uh, mix into my kind of who I am. And so the book was written by a Ukrainian writer. I was inspired by the capital of Lithuania, Vilnius, um, because she, she really loved that city. And so she started kind of creating this world around it. One of the pieces, so as I said, I was staying actually all of this time um, at my grandmother's. One of the pieces that I've done at my grandmother's that was in between first year and second year was the first big project I did uh, was this toilet in the ground, so it's an actual physical room, um, properly, like, sized, but it's, um, dug into the ground. Um, and, uh, and I think that's also where, uh, the, kind of, the symbolism of doors originated in my artist practice. It taught me a lot about working together with other artists and other people, like helping each other out Um, and it uh, it kind of solidified kind of an aesthetic that I I guess I'm carrying through until now in my artist practice. It was quite clean and the the colors are quite clean. And um, this is a, so this is a photograph from um, uh, what's called bird's eye view. Um, That's like side view. And it's uh, the idea of, of having these urban spaces within, um, within n- nature and natural landscapes, but having them really, like, as
0: if they were cut out and pasted in. So just to describe this piece, it's, if you were, it's in the middle of a field and there's a full-size door that is, sorry, I'm going to have to do the pun, it's flush <laughs> with the ground, <laughs> and you open the door and there's a bathroom. It's a, there's a full toilet and a light and tile floors and toilet paper. I mean, it's a full, it's a full bathroom in the ground that you wouldn't see unless you got pretty close and you were able to notice that there was a door in the ground, but you can open the full size door and into a proper, a proper bathroom.
1: I'm very curious to hear say Matt in your experience as a writer. Um, sort of like what you take from, from listening to, um, an early graduate's work.
3: Um, it's a good question. Uh, I love hearing about all of the backstory and the references behind the door piece. And I'd love to see some of that find its way into the piece somehow. Because I, le- I like what you've created, and I like the performative aspect. It's it's kind of funny looking at these pieces now. It's not funny, but just how much the past three months have changed how we view artwork. Because you know, I'm looking at these people. Uh, for for people who can't see it, there's you know these doors in a starburst pattern, as Alexis said, and then there's people kind of crossing paths and having to navigate the space together and just seeing that I'm like, Oh God, they're touching the door handles. (laughs) Nobody's wearing masks. Um, Hopefully it will be a piece that people can experience before not too long in the way it was originally intended. But I like that, uh, you know, this relationship that it encourages reminds me a little of that um, Marina Abramovic piece where her and a partner or standing in a doorway and guests you to have walk to enter, through. walk oh, through yeah. them, between oh, their bodies geez. but not as ego driven with the <laughs> artist involved it's you know the, the viewer the viewers have to create that tension or or it's it's created when they're when they interact with it um but yeah just you know so there's that experience of it in the moment just within this framework and i don't think that every piece has to incorporate every bit of inspiration behind it. But just hearing you talk about it, you see, you know, it seems to have been a very prominent, this, this book and the whole history of Lithuania and the post-Soviet era seems to have been a very big influence on it. And I've loved, I would love to see that somehow um, incorporated. I don't know if that's asking too much of other people.
2: So, Oh my God, that's literally what I've been thinking actually the past three months. Like my art practice was so kind of interaction driven. Like uh, it's almost like I would say that the art happens when people are interacting with it. So looking at like COVID and and uh, social distancing, it kind of... Scared me a bit because I was thinking, well, if this carries on, my artist is kind of my artist practice is falling apart because people won't be able to interact with the pieces. They they just it's not gonna yeah, it's gonna be completely different. And so I have to change and develop for for when you know everything opens, but you still won't be able to interact the same way you would have usually. And also another question was um, because well, even before Corona, um, because I made such big artwork at university, uh, I found myself kind of struggling to uh, get opportunities where I could properly make such big work again. And actually Corona and being stuck at my grandmother's and on a farm uh, gave me that opportunity again to make big work, even if people won't be able to interact with it. And so this is what you're seeing now, right now, is um, what I've been, I've, I've been doing the past three months, basically. Um, so it's,
0: it's like a little room, almost, uh, uh, like maybe almost like a, like a module off of a room, like a nook where there's a lovely window, um, but from the outside, you just see a structure of like almost a crate. But if you look on the inside of it, it's, it would be kind of like a little nook of a room. Um and it's in the middle of a beautiful forest, just and like a freestanding st- structure it's incredible so um I don't know if you can tell I love this <laughs> <laughs> thanks um so it's called Holy shit, the difference is unreal
2: <laughs> That or uh present and accounted for. there we go. The idea here was sort of to kind of capture that moment of light shining through the window. And um, I'm not, so before I came to my grandmother's so farm I was actually stuck in a, in a flat and uh, kind of had that not having enough space, uh, being with another two people and just sort of looking at Things in, within the flat completely differently. So, for example, the light shining through through the window became suddenly this kind of a magical moment within the day, where where you have a bit of sort of something natural, nature almost trying to come come into this urban space. And uh, yeah, I was trying to create the, the contrast between an urban, clean cut space again
0: and nature. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah. I was going to say, Megan, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. If you have any questions or comments.
4: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot as you've shown each piece and I really appreciate that you have kept each artwork to scale for a human experience. I feel like the way that you've created these environments, even if we can't go to this forest and actually experience it. It's so easy to see ourselves interacting with this space and all the doors are to scale and you just have this opportunity to just be there or be there mentally so easily. I think that if you tried to express this in a smaller scale or even with just a window, I think that uh, you know, a lot of people would have had a harder time getting the whole, the whole concept, but I think that your thoroughness with creating the entire environment really allows you to jump right in, even if you can't physically stand there. And I think that that's a really, a really um, lovely aspect of your work.
0: I think that that the human scale of it also reinforces the time aspects because you are forced to interact with it, and so especially a piece like this where you're focused with the light and the window,
4: mm-hmm.
0: you know what time are you going to get there? Are you going to watch the time pass because the light is moving? Do I get to the doors when there's other people there and I'm interacting with them or am I alone with the piece? Same thing with the, the toilet and the ground. Am I, you know, is it the morning? Is it the night? Is it, you know, are there other people there again? Um, How long does it take to get to these places? How long does it take to participate with these places? That's a really interesting.
4: um, Oh, I'm sorry. I think expectation too plays a lot into it and the fact that you're anticipating something when you open these doors you have a lot of expectation and then there's there's some sense of surprise but perhaps a sense of of disappointment when you open a door and there's nothing or you open a door and it's a bathroom but it's not functional you can't use it like is it surprise is it disappointment like I love imagining all these reactions and and how everyone would take them so differently and I think that that allows people to really engage with it in so many different ways which is really nice
0: Mm -hmm. um and on that note now that we've gotten through the three uh I want to thank you so much for letting us look at your work and thank you you for inviting me (laughs) And um, I will put all of this stuff in the, inf- in the blurby, but do you have any website that you'd like to, or Instagram that you'd like to shout out so people can know where to find you and your work? Yeah, so
2: my Instagram handle is at Anna underscore lips. So it's A-N-A underscore L-I-P-P-S, two P's, one N. Um, and you can find the website in my bio, which
3: is probably easier.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: (laughs) Okay, thanks. Uh, All right, so here we are with um, Ainoa Burgos-Gonzalez, who is our second artist. to Let's do our stuff and she's going to share some documents with us for us to go over. Okay, so my name is Ainoa Burgos-Gonzalez. I'm currently
5: living in Brighton studying fine art sculpture and well what i've sent you is some previous work that i've done i'm working towards an exhibition in autumn if everything goes well and i'm gonna tell you a little bit about what i've been working on and what are my projects for this one if that's okay please okay these garments sculptures and are an inquiry into the body through body distortions body extensions body gestures and personal space safe space or the immediate space around us. Through these garments and sculptures, I also explore imposed roles of beauty in Western society. For my upcoming exhibition in autumn 2020, I intend to explore and move forward these concepts, materials, and ideas, creating full-body sculptures, including the sculptural garments, out of cello tape while tackling social distance, uh, the ways of reaching beloved people, and sculptures hugging themselves these sculptures will form an installation in the space accompanied with theatrical spotlights casting dramatic shadows. I think? love it.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> Thank of course. You. Do you mind, let's start with um, the one with the orange background. I'm just going to kind of describe it a little bit. So you said it was, a, it's a cello tape, and I, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say dress, but it's obviously a wearable yep. sculpture that is enwrapping her and she can't, her arms are included in down, but it comes out kind of bulbously. Uh, so you can't get like too close and there's some other color plastic involved? Am I, am I describing yeah, well, this? Um,
5: um, um, there's hands trapped mm-hmm. into the cellotape. and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um,
5: while I was, this was the very beginning of this project, uh, there's a sculptural garment is made out of tape, and I was uh, speaking about of domestic abuse as the well, it was domestic abuse and also the intrusion into your safe space. So the hand at the back it symbolizes a bit of the of a sun, where sometimes you don't really want anybody to reach to you, but a friend gives you a hug and actually makes you feel comfortable and good. While the black hand it symbolizes exactly the opposite, and they're made out of recycled fabrics because I do dressmaking, so I try to reuse
3: all
0: the materials. Interesting. And the other um, image that we have is a woman on a beach wearing another one of these cello sculptures, but her arms are free and there's these kind of long, uh, I don't want to say tubes, cause I don't think they're open, but they're like almost like phalanges coming off in different angles, jutting out uh, aggressively. I think, but in a good way. That sounds like it's an angry thing, but it is, it's more of just like a purposeful, I guess is what I'm trying to say, jutting out purposefully and perpendicularly.
5: Yeah, uh, well, the name of this piece is Barbara Reborn. Barbara comes from the Greek and it means foreigner. And it's also the sculptural piece, it symbolizes this safe space and uh, your own space. So you can use it as a weapon or as your seal as you prefer, as you prefer in the moment. And because I was a bit concerned about the use of so much plastic on sellotape, but it's um, a material I absolutely fell in love with it because of all the qualities, because it becomes really strong, it bounces light, it casts beautiful shadows. So it's a lot. So I decided to make a performance cleaning the beads while she was wearing the sculptural garment made out of Plastic, so we were cleaning the beach from plastic, and she became a character that evolves from all this plastic in the oceans, and trying to make something good for the environment where she lives now. And it was um, occasion where I tried to explore different spaces with these garments, and instead of in a photographic studio where it looks more like a fashion performance, we want, I wanted to take it out and see how it behaves in open spaces and public spaces where we all make use of it.
0: So in your show, when you present the works, is it gonna be the, the documentation of the works and the sculpture itself, or is it just the documentation? So for this show, uh, well, normally I present some
5: uh, videos of the or some documentation made out of these performances while I cast shadows on the of the sculptural garments, exploring the space and creating a new space around the audience. For this new installation that I'm thinking, I was pretending to make the body out of cellotape while it's wearing the sculptural garment. So we became the tape. Interesting. Um,
1: sorry, I'm just going to jump in. I'm curious. What? So how do you store these? Do you have them hanging somewhere? Like,
5: well, I'm going to show you how I have one of them now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have it just there in my studio. Oh, nice. <laughs> Oh, they do cast nice shadows I like yeah that.
5: well, this shadow is not is not the best, but they're very they become very interesting because I create loads of layers, so the ceate becomes really strong uh, you can see all those layers and little bubbles of fire that get trapped into those layers and they become really strong and they almost cast like a different person, sometimes like the good and the bad, because the cellotype it bounces the light. But then you can cast all those shadows that are a bit creepy, a bit like an arachnid or so so how I store them, I have them everywhere. <laughs>
0: Hanging all around
3: Can I ask you oh sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna ask about the one on the orange background. I, maybe I missed it, but there's like these wires in the back. Are those wires? Let the color me. The colorful kind of spreads? Uh,
5: no, there's no wires there. This is in a photographic studio. Maybe it's the fabric That's <laughs> the used fabric that you:
3: I see, I see.: Have you um, tried col- can you color the cello tape?
5: No, I haven't. There's something that always comes up and the only way I manage to feel comfortable with the color is trapping objects inside because I quite like the transparency of the cellotype as well because cellotype is fantastic. (laughs) So uh, it becomes very different when you're wearing black underneath, Hmm. it becomes like a vacuum space but if you're wearing like a skin color, uh, you disappear on, on it and the sculptural garments, it becomes your body. And it's very interesting. Every performer I have on it, they respond differently with the garments. So Some of them become very shy when they are on it. Some of them become very (sighs) encouraged and very strong characters. So Mm -hmm. I quite like to play with that transparencies.
3: It's funny. Of course, I'm like viewing everything through the lens of pandemic and social unrest, but like the one with the phalanges, like you said, Alexis, you know, it's like the perfect social distancing outfit. Like nobody can get too close to you. And then the other one, I love how she like, you can't see it, but it's kind of this bubble form. And then in the last image, the woman just disappears inside of it. It's like a cocoon almost. Yeah. There's a very like 60s archigram kind of utopian organic architecture uh, feel to it. It's interesting
0: that you say that because now that like you say 60s, I can't help but see like Twiggy in it and like Mm -hmm. doing like a, you know, a cool dance. But then also when you're talking about COVID and like social distancing, it's like bulbous and keeping people away. And it's also it's tough, but it's delicate. So you also don't want to touch it. Um, so that's like, kind of like very current with like COVID and it's interesting how it, how it feels like you could place it in like any time in the last 50 years, 60 years. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that the course that came out of the seventies. Of course that came out of the eighties. Of course that came out of the sixties. Of course that came out of 2020. And I think that's a really interesting, something to capture for contemporary art.
1: Well, it's interesting that you guys are saying that because it reminds me, so the bulbous one reminds me of the one of the Chilean um, shows that it's like a performative fashion piece. So, like, the model walked out and then you can, like, get out of it and it becomes a table. Yes. And
2: then, so it reminds
1: me of Chilean. And then it also reminds me of McQueen, like, quite a few years ago when – like the model came out and then there were these robots and they would spray paint
0: Harlow. Oh, that was a great piece.
1: Yeah. And it like there were aspects of it that really reminds me, I don't, I don't know if it's the form. I don't know if it's the gestures. I don't know what, but like, it definitely evokes that type of a. um,
5: You know, it makes me very happy. You're saying that because they were the two strongest uh, influences I had when I was developing this. This kind of work because I study now fine art and sculpture, but I come from fashion and dressmaking, so that's how I arrived to make sculptural garments. And Hussein Chalayan and Alexander McQueen—they've always been there in my imaginary
0: to create these pieces. Megan, I would love to hear your thoughts on it because Megan actually investigated performance and fabric arts and clothing performance art in college, or no, in your MFA. Right?
4: Yeah, correct. Um, One thing that I keep thinking about and really enjoy about these artworks is how they exist on their own as sculptures. And I love that you've put in the intention of displaying them as sculptures, lighting them as sculptures, and continuing their own narrative and giving them an opportunity to live on a human, live on the wall, live on the floor. Like, I, I think that that's really rich territory. And giving each of these sculptural pieces so much history allows them to communicate so much to the viewer. And I think that the fact that they're so versatile is a huge, um, is a huge opportunity. And I think it's, it's really unique.
5: Thank you.
1: I'm really interested in seeing if this is something, the medium, I know that you love it, I, I get it. Like, I have a medium that I particularly love. Um, with time, how it disintegrates or it doesn't disintegrate. Like, that's very interesting in terms of archival, which is why I also asked you, like, how you store it. Because I remember years ago when I was doing a studio visit in Joshua Tree with Andrea Zetel, I remember our class, we all just like, how do you store this stuff? She's like, "Oh, I just throw it away." And I think at the time we're all like, "Oh
0: my God." <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this isn't that is hip- such an Andrews tell thing to say though yeah. like, I, know, but, I, just and I think it and just like yeah leave it so she's like, "Oh well, yeah,
1: we just throw it away." And you're like, "Oh okay, And it's interesting now that sort of with everything with the pandemic, with just like global warming and plastics and everything, it's just it's very interesting to see whether that sense of the archival is it. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a thing? It's, it's interesting to track someone's career or like how they, their studio practice.
5: So <clears throat> the piece on the beach is called Barbara Reborn, because I made in Thursday, Barbara, and then I throw it away when I have to change my studio for the year at the university. And suddenly, one week later, somebody contacted me to exhibit um, Brighton Pride exhibition, Barbara. So I had to make it again. So I called her Barbara Reborn. So what I tried to do is put Barbara in my garden and see if the plants will grow inside like a greenhouse. But they didn't grow inside, but they trapped her on the outside. She's still there. But I didn't track the... I didn't make a document, a proper documentation of it, just peacefully. <laughs> and she's still there, just waiting for love.
0: <laughs> it's really exciting, though, that, like, because that just, like, to me, it's just, like, I love the idea, and this is, like, my, like, purest, you know, thinking about, like, your narrative as an artist and your practice of, like, the experimentation for experimentation's sake. Like, it doesn't have to be documented, but just, like, the story of that is, like, such a magical... You know idea of like growth and like consumption and interaction that just like maybe it's better that it lives in my head, like a little like garden gnome fantasy yeah <laughs> I don't know getting real romantic over here I can't no know. I
2: don't <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the
5: truth is that I tried to make another piece uh, it was about the air and growing plants, and my intention it was to create a structure to grow plants inside but they didn't have enough time when i had to present the work so i put a video inside the sculpture and some uh, some smells but i didn't get to grow plants inside so that's why i put the other plant on the garden so yes i want to do it i want to see what happened with it it's
0: fantastic i love that for the um so when you did Barber Reborn, cause now I am curious about the COVID, you said, or you're talking about social distancing. Is that like, is that something that you're thinking about like now in your practice going forward because you are a dressmaker and you are, you do make the clothing as well and the fashion as well as the art? Uh,
5: well, I'm really interested in the body and what's around us. Uh, when I write essays and that I normally study proprioception So our sense of perceiving what's around us and our position of the body. So sculptural garments really help me to explore that part. It, It makes my theory and my studio practice, it all comes from my dressmaking practice, but they're a bit separated right now. I can see differences because when I do dressmaking now, it's been more to get dressed. I don't get that, that creative with it to say, maybe it's because I don't have the tailoring skills, but I found that sculpting, that doing sculptures is my way of giving my ideas a voice.
4: When you um, refer to the different garments and things and the sculptures, is it always um, women that wear these sculptures that you, you're working on?
5: You know, it's, that question is quite fun because in the beginning it was only women and I only want women to wear them. But I was doing a practice in the photographic studio and one of my male colleagues was there. I say, hey Brad, why don't you wear it? And I make a small photo shoot with it. And the session was fantastic. He was one of the happiest person wearing the piece. I've never seen anybody smiling like that in my pieces. <laughs> Ever so actually, it opened a door in my mind that I think it should not be that close in the beginning. And I'm well, and then now with the pandemic, I had Barbara at home, and I made my partner to wear it, and hovering <laughs> with it like Freddie Mercury in the video clips. <laughs> it was quite fun, and then I'm kind of exploring the small spaces because you can go through the door with it. So actually it's a new door for me and I think it's a thing I want to explore more because it was really productive and more because it opened my mind uh when you think oh no my mind is very open it's very open and then something is left you in the face say uh it wasn't really open was it so
0: right (laughs) that's really exciting to be vulnerable and honest about like how we can keep changing and adapting um i think it's hard to admit like that maybe we our minds weren't as open as you know we thought they were and i think that's a really exciting part of your practice to like figure that out to so, like going forward and just having that kind of openness and feel like will probably benefit you long term so i hope you hold on to that yeah i will thank you you're welcome um well i want to thank you so much for Coming on, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? And I'll put it, I'll type it all up and put it in a little blurby, but I want to make sure they know how to how to seek out your work. Thank you. I have an Instagram account
5: that's at Noah underscore make this. And
0: there's where you can find my work. Perfect. I will uh, I will make sure I have it on there. And um on that note, I'm gonna thank you again for coming. Thank and you very much for receiving me. It's been a
5: really pleasure to chat with you.
3: Thank
0: you. Thank you. All right. So we got through our crits and um, I'm going to start with Megan because she's not muted. Um, (laughs) What did you, what did you think about seeing some artists over zoom and engaging with them? Especially it's kind of interesting because they're, they're not LA based and we're so used to lately being seeing so many LA people.
4: Yeah, I actually am really pleasantly surprised how easy it is to engage um, with the screen share and to be able to have a crit um, digitally. It was a lot smoother than I thought it would be. Um, And I really love that both artists are thinking critically, you know, and especially in the times that we're in right now and taking all of these these cues from what's going on into their own practice in real time. I think that's really smart. And, um, I think that, you know, evolve, um, you know, evolving is good. And, um, I'm excited that, that they both, um, you know, are actively critical and doing good shit.
0: (laughs) That's so true.
4: (laughs)
3: Matt. Uh, yeah, it was good to see art and artists again because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. been pretty... I nice haven't had much access yet for the past three months. You know, I think if anything, at least I've been... You know, we, I think the art world gets very complacent and especially the market-driven manifestation that it's become... I think we view more things through the lens of how it functions in society now, or it's kind of opening up different ways to view art or to think about it. So it's interesting to see two people's practice that is very socially engaged, or at least not as concerned with discrete objects, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just to hear them talk about it very freshly and you know, without everything figured out already. That so was good for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice to see like their process and processing kind of like yeah. actively. Um, and it was kind of nice, Erica thinks that like you got two people who are, who are engaged in something that's performance-based kind of like, I mean it's I didn't like, actually you know, even think about that, but yeah. It's kind of nice. Cause it's like, they're not performance artists themselves but their things are you have to kind of interact that you can't just like look at it on a wall. Um, and it was interesting to see that translate. Cause this is something that you and I have talked about, about like how does art translate digitally when we can't go out? Like, can you interact with it? Can you document it? And I think that this kind of shows you that you can, I feel like we both artists felt like we understood their work, even though it was sculpture or place based or interactive in like a, you know, we're talking about like specific light and shadows and, you know, people engagement but we were still able to process that pretty accurately which is hopeful if this is going to keep going on and we're going to keep consuming art digitally although london is opening back up
1: it's true tomorrow
0: hauser and we're like seven emails about it
1: i think it's really scary actually
0: but yeah it's scary
3: that cabin in the woods is kind of ideal i
0: That can yeah. real attractive, right?
3: <laughs> like one one person at a time, open air.
0: Yeah, no door to touch. <laughs> yeah. Right? You can wait, like, for 30 feet off and just, like, wait for the person to leave and then just casually... Or even that, you know, the, you do have to touch the door with the toilet.
1: So, what did you read and listen to and see this week?
4: So, I definitely took an art hiatus this week. Um... And tried to refocus my efforts on uh, Black Lives Matter and just educating myself further and questioning things that I thought I knew and felt comfortable with. And um, I have really tried to be open and honest with myself and my privilege as a white person. So that's been hugely on my mind. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where that's where I'm at.
1: Matt?
3: Um, yeah, I've... Uh, I mean, I've, I have was on a break for three months, but I went on an even more intense break this week, or past two weeks. Um, but it's been interesting to see um, how it's affected the art world and how, like, Self-Help Graphics, which is a old-school uh, nonprofit institution in L.A., printed up... Um, Black Lives Matter posters that they were giving away for free for the protests.
0: Printed Matter was doing that also.
3: Yeah, I'm sure a few places were doing it. Um, And, you know, a lot of institutions came out with very explicit statements, um, pledging their support. Um, And then there was also a questioning of them saying, you know, words are great, but. How many people of color are on your board? How many are behind the scenes? So I think there's this reckoning um, that's been going on for some time, but I think it's it's being reinforced now. Um, you know, so there's it's been really, I mean, I, it's obviously been very upsetting everything that's going on, but it's been very encouraging in a way that we are seeing the sea change that is not just isolated to the street, but it's um, you know, affecting institutions and the art world in a larger sense, which I think is way overdue. Uh, but it's been really exciting in a lot of ways. Yeah,
0: because it's been interesting to see the one, the galleries who I think have, you know, who already have like existing, you know, people of color, African Americans in their stable of artists, you know. They seem to be the ones who are on my end, like that I'm seeing from a, you know, outsider position seem to be doing the best in terms of like, this is what we're doing. We're matching donations. This is where you can donate. And like, they're really active and supportive of it. And it just seems like right off the bat, but it's, you know, but then if you look at their past exhibition history, they have been supporting black artists and they have been supporting black contemporary art. Like I think about Kordansky and Blum and Poe and... Uh, gallery long and they're, you know, they're matching donations and they're actively showing people who follow them. This is where you can donate and this is how you can help. And I thought that was just, you know, kind of, it's just like, okay, good. You guys are still doing the good fight. Um, And on that note, it has been interesting because I've been seeing a lot of people anecdotally on Twitter and Instagram, like other black contemporary artists or curators who are basically getting inundated now with requests for tell me who are black artists, give me art. I'm going to do a black contemporary art thing. And people are like, how are you still not getting it? Like the privilege of just like asking me to do your work for you. Like, aren't you the curator? Aren't you the person who should be finding these things and not just asking me for more free labor or art because you think it's hot, which is, doubly insulting, I can imagine. Um and it's it's a really good reminder to like take a beat and think. And also it'll be interesting again to see like how many of these people and institutions and galleries and things are how much of this is long term. Is this going to be just like, oh you're doing this right now or are your stables changing? Are your boards changing? Are your, you know, is your programming changing? forever and it'll be interesting to keep an eye on because so i think that there is definitely like a real reckoning for a lot of places but it also seems like a lot of people are not handling it
1: well or they just don't know what to do i think it's yeah. it's also quite i don't know if concerning is the right word but i do notice that with everything that's happening and there are still galleries institutions who have nothing their lineups are still a hundred percent unchanged. And I don't know if that's alarming or are you trying to figure it out? Like it makes me wonder like if you jump on the bandwagon now, is it just because you're jumping on the bandwagon? But Mm -hmm. then also if you don't do anything, what does that make you look like? So it's like, where, where do you stand in something like this? But For me, when I do look at different institutions and their lineup is still completely unchanged, I'm just like, that's alarming to me. Like, you could at least a little bit, but like nothing. And I was like, okay, well, noted. Noted that you support something.
0: Yeah. And from a super purely capitalistic, like, shitty money dude angle, like, if the NFL... (laughs) is seeing that they should get on this angle and like they should be you know supporting this and like NASCAR like shouldn't our public institutions and galleries be making active changes now also with their lineup and their things like that because it's just it's I don't necessarily think that like everybody who runs NASCAR hasn't had like an amazing change of heart about equality but I do know that they're looking at their numbers and they're like we have to make changes for purely fiscal reasons so like some of this I'm just like okay fine like but don't you realize, like, financially it's better for you? And, like, at least you can, like, I don't know. It's interesting, the people who haven't done. Really I think somebody
1: been, also needs to hold somebody accountable. I think that's the thing as well. Like, true. what's going to happen in, like, even a month? Yeah.
0: Um, Megan and Matt, uh, can we find, have a place where we can find you guys for our lovely listeners so they can, they can consume more of your wonderful stuff? Ooh.
4: Yeah, I'd say find me at Softcore LA, me and
0: Alexis. Yeah, mostly Megan. She really handles it. (laughs) She's very good at it.
3: I am a freelance arts writer here in LA, and I am, as Alexis said, with the LA Times, Hyperallergic, Contemporary Art Review LA, The Guardian, Art Newspaper, uh, Official Stromberg on Instagram, and what am I on Twitter? Matt Stromberg, I think. Hey, Matt.
0: I think Matt Strong. I think Matthew Stromberg. Am
3: I Matthew Stromberg?
0: I think it is. Just, I will put Yeah,
3: it. I, I'm Matt Stromberg. My name is Matthew Stromberg. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Just Google it. But I just always there. think
0: of you so formally. Yeah. Matthew Stromberg. Matt Stromberg. I'll put all of this in our little blurby. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm Alexis Hyde. Can be found at Hyde or Die on all platforms, even Tumblr, even TikTok, and AlexisHyde.com and Erica.
1: Erica is Erica and you can find me on Instagram at to practice a practice. T O P R A C T I S E A P R A C T
0: I C E. Yes. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.